If we go back to James, the first chapter, in verses 2 through 4, I want to break down some of the things that are mentioned, some of the words there that are mentioned. And first he says, I want you to consider this. I want you to regard this, in other words. That joy or delight or to rejoice. Consider that. Joy means to be delighted or to rejoice. And then he talks about the trials of many kinds. That's persecution. It can be persecution in life. It can be poverty. It can be sickness. It can be that we sorrow after the loss of a loved one. And it can be calamity of any kind is what it's defined as. And Thayer goes on to say it comes from the Greek word pirasmos. And it means adversity, affliction, trouble, sent by God and serving to test or prove one's character, faith, or holiness. Then he says the testing of your faith. In other words, the test is of our faith, the strength of our faith. It's a test. And he says, go on, goes on to say that it produces perseverance. In other words, it's the, it's the product, or it's the fruit, or it's the offspring of perseverance is what happens. It produces perseverance. The product of trials is a patient, enduring, sustaining perseverance, steadfastness, constancy. And then he says, not lacking anything. In other words, completely and fully developed in this. There's something that happens in trials. It either makes us better or it destroys us. And that's what we want to notice. In other words, delight in the trials of your life with a joyful perseverance and as the opportunity to grow in perseverance. Excuse me, joyful perspective, I'm sorry. And as an opportunity to grow in perseverance. It's all about perspective. Going through any trial of life for a Christian can be a joyous experience if we have the perspective that is right going through that trial. You know, you see people that go through life and they just are always up. And you throw something at them and they're still up. And you throw something else at them and they're still up. And you have other people that just go around and with a sad face and with a, 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 just a kind of a scrowl on their face all the time. And, and, you know, anything you tell them something good and they'll make something bad out of it. It's all about perspective. Some people perceive everything as good things going on in their life. They make lemon out of, uh, uh, lemon, lemonade out of lemons and things of that nature. So it's all about perspective. Imagine the worst trial that you could possibly go through. It might be money problems. It might be that you lost your job, you were fired, or you were laid off. You know, jobs are hard to find these days, it seems like. And, and sometimes when somebody loses their job, they don't have enough money to pay the bills. They've got need to put food on the table. They need to put clothes on their children's backs. And for other people, it might be that you just received a word that you're going to need a triple bypass immediately. Or you might have a massive brain tumor. Or one of your children has a terminal illness. Or you just got word that one of your close relatives doesn't have any longer, doesn't have much longer to live, or 
one of your loved ones was involved in an auto accident, a fatality. I'm sure there are certain trials that come to mind that have happened in each of our lives, and we could go on and on, but all hard trials touch us in one way or another. They touch each and every one of us in one way or another. Anyone who thinks that we're going to be able to go through this life with ease, with no troubles, and with no trials, you're living in a fantasy world because trials and sorrow are part of life and must be expected. If we think realistically, we can know that we're going to face troubles and trials at some point in our life. Job was a man who lost his family, he lost his crops, he lost his livestock, everything. He lost it all. He had lost his possessions, lost all his children, and was left with a wife who asked him to curse God and die. His own body was struck with painful boils from the crown of his head to the bottom of his feet, it says in Job 2 and verse 7. And now he's got it pretty bad. Pretty bad. You and I haven't gone through all that. Job had it pretty bad. Also, Abraham's life shows us that we might be tested on things that are very near and dear to us. The worst thing that we can think of that would happen we might be tested on. We may have to offer up our own Isaac at some point. In other words, we may have to go through such a trial that is so, so close to our heart. Abraham was willing to give up Isaac no matter how much Isaac meant to him. Why? Because he would do anything that God asked him to do. And I can ever imagine that trial. I just can't even imagine going through something like that. I can't imagine what I would do if I was told to do the things that Abraham was told to do. But Abraham passed the test. The angel of the Lord said in Genesis 22 and verse 12, Now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. In other words, Abraham truly reverenced and obeyed God at any cost whatever it was. Hebrews 11 and 7 tells us very clearly in the first two words, tells the whole story. By what? By faith. Abraham, when he was tested, that was a test. I think about, you know, sometimes we all have heard it on the television, mainly on the radio, you hear that beep, and you, and you hear the words saying, this is a test, this is only a test. Well, that's what happened with Abraham. It's not like God had a, that Abraham heard a beep and then heard God saying to do these things. But this was a test. And that's what Abraham went through. Hebrews 11 verse 17 through 19. When he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Well, how can he do that? Well, it's all about perspective but here it comes here's the key in verse 19 concluding or taking note of the fact that God was able to raise him up even from the dead well you know why he was willing to do that because he believed God he believed the promise of God he believed that no matter what happened even if he had to kill Isaac 
God was able to raise him up from the dead. Abraham, I don't know, it doesn't reveal to us that Abraham had ever seen God raise someone from the dead, but Abraham believed that if that was the case, he could even raise Isaac up from the dead to keep that promise. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us that we can make it through the most severe trial in life if we really trust God. You know, that's hard to do sometimes is put our trust in God. And if we believe that God will keep his promise, that God never makes a mistake and that God will accomplish his purpose in and through us, it is that kind of faith that passes the test. We have to realize that God is going to test us and the things that sustain us during those tests is our trust in God. Our faith that God is working all things out for his own purpose. You know, we trust ourselves. We like to be in control of our lives. But when we have to release that trust from ourselves to God, sometimes that's where the problem lies. We pray to God for help in this matter, but we want to go over and we want to pick up that luggage of doubt. And we want to carry it along with us. And we still want to have that as a backup just in case God can't deal with this, just in case God doesn't come through, just in case our prayer isn't heard, we want to grab that luggage of doubt and have our own plan. And releasing that trust from ourselves and releasing it to God is hard to do sometimes. But we have to do that. And that's what Abraham did. That's what Abraham did. He placed his trust in God. And if we allow that to happen, God's plan works out. You know, I know that we dream of having a life of ease. We like to create this perfect environment that we live in, our own utopia, if you want to say. And we want to have a comfortable life with no problems. We want to get all the rough spots out so we can have a life of ease. We want to make sure that everything turns out perfect as we have planned. Frankly, I've never known such a moment in my life, it seems like, and when we kind of think for a moment that, that, that we're in that place, all of a sudden we get blindsided and we found out, find out that we were mistaken. When we get comfortable, when we get at ease in life, thinking we've got it all worked out. We've got our plans about this and our plans about that and our plans about this, and we've got our future all laid out for us. All of a sudden, the trial comes and wipes it all out. That's life. That's life. It's not about us. It's God's plan and what God has planned for us in this life. But the fact that we have temporary rest and temporary ease in life fools us into thinking that we might have it made when that's not the case. Jesus said to his disciples, and, and specifically Peter, in Matthew 26 and verse 41, Watch and pray that you enter not into, and the New King James and King James says temptation, but that same word, Greek word is used there, 
Perismos, which means trials. Watch. Look for the trials. Pray. Ask for strength, in other words. Watch and pray. And it wouldn't be long before Peter would understand exactly what God or what Jesus was saying to him. He says, Peter, watch and pray as you enter into the trials because they're coming. We're going to have trials. Trials will come. But our confidence is in the presence of God and knowing that he is our helper in the times of these trials. Notice in Psalm 30, 23 and verse 4, the psalmist David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. David wasn't, willing, wasn't, wasn't uh, afraid of what was going to come at him because he knew that God would be right there. So trials come to us in many ways. And I want to just notice nine different ways that we can use those trials to find joy. First of all, trials come to test our faith. There's a great illustration of this relating to King Hezekiah. Listen in Chronicles 32 and verse 31. God withdrew from him in order to test him, that he might know all that was in his heart that God might know all that was in Hezekiah's heart. God withdrew from him. He left him. Now, I need to know, and you need to know, the strength of our faith. And so God allows trials into our lives to reveal to us the strength or the weakness of our faith. And the trial will do just that. If you're going to through a severe trial right now, it's revealing to you the strength of your faith or the weakness of your faith, isn't it? We can be devastated from that trial or we can be strengthened from it. And that is our choice. If you're blaming God for your problems, if you're questioning God's ability, if you're wondering why it's happening to you, if you're worried all the time, that's a good indication that your faith is weak. That your faith in God is weak. If on the other hand you're going through a trial and you find yourself at peace in the promises of God. Comforted by God and having placed the trial in his hands and care. Trusting him. Letting him bear the burden of it all. And going on your way rejoicing as best you can in the difficult situation. Waiting for God to show you the way out. Then you're seeing yourself how you measure up by putting faith and trust in God. So we ought to be thankful for trials because they assist us in the inventory of our own faith. And that's very helpful to know where we stand. When a trial comes along, how do we, how do we react to it? How is our mind set for that when it comes at us? Are we putting our faith and our trust in God? Are we trying to solve our own problems or have someone else solve our problems? Where is the strength of our faith and how strong or how weak is it? So we ought to be thankful because it assists us in that inventory. I always want to know where my faith is so that I can be stronger. The stronger my faith is, the more useful I become or you become to God. And isn't that what we want to be more useful to God? When Habakkuk 
was going through the promise that the Chaldeans were going to come and wipe out his people in spite of all that Habakkuk or Habakkuk, I don't know how you pronounce that, said. In, in chapter 3 and verse 17, though the fig tree may blossom, may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. And so, one of the purposes of testing is to reveal to you and me the strength of our faith so that we can move along to greater strength. Remember, as we noticed earlier, Job was tested, and as a result of his testing, he says in Job 42 and verses 5 through 6, I have heard you of you by the hearing of the ear, but now I see you, but now I see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in the dust and ashes. In other words, he said, I want to confess that I really wasn't paying attention, Lord. I didn't see you as I do now. And that's what we need to do. We need to see God for who he is and what he does for us. We need to trust him. We need to put faith in him. When we pray, we expect to have those prayers answered in the way that we desire. And put it in his hands. And sometimes that's tough to do. So trials come as a test of the strength of our faith. Second, we must recognize that trials come to humble us. They come to remind us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Or can think that we are confident in our spiritual strength. They come not only to show us our strength, but they come to humble us so that we don't think we're stronger spiritually than we actually are. This is illustrated by Paul that through all the things he accomplished, he might become proud and boastful. You know, Paul accomplished all kinds of things for Christ. Notice 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I exalt Thus I be exalted above measure. In other words, it was something to keep Paul in check, is what he's saying. Unless I get too big of a head about everything that I've accomplished, about all the revelation coming down from God, and all the things that I've done for the church and for the cause of Christ, a thorn in the flesh was given to me to keep me humble. Barnes notes comments on this, lest I should be spiritually proud, lest I should become self-confident and vain and suppose that I was a special favorite in heaven. Unless Paul should think of himself more highly than he ought to think because of all the things that Paul was able to do, all the signs and wonders and revelations. And we must realize that God allows trials in our lives, especially when we are blessed so that we don't think too confident in our spiritual life. You know, when things are going along real smooth, sometimes we get a little bit too uppity. And we're not humble as we ought to be. We think we're invincible with our spiritual life, and then that trial comes along and just knocks us back on our heels and puts the humility into our lives. Trials can keep us in check. Number three, 
I also believe the Lord brings trials in our lives to wean us from the worldly things. Have you ever found out that the older you get and the more things that we accumulate, more furniture and cars and our houses or whatever, the more success that you have, the more worldly things that you have you've got and done, have you noticed that as you grow older in life, those things tend to have less meaning? As we get older, yeah, we spend sometimes all that time when we're younger and we got the energy and we got all that stamina acquiring this and acquiring that and we want to achieve this and we want to get to this goal. But as we get closer to the end of our life, those things become much less important. And those things really don't solve the problems of life, do they? Those things don't do it. Those deep, dark problems that we get involved in, those things can't get us out of those problems. Problems and trials come to your life and all those worldly things make no difference. They mean absolutely nothing. As you're laying in the hospital, maybe struggling for breath and things, those things out in the world mean nothing to you. But it's important as you get that next breath. That's what's important. And putting your faith and trust in God. Things will get you nowhere. So a trial means and brings to our attention that we need to be weaned away from worldly things. The worldly possessions can't solve any problems. And those things need to be less important than godly things. I think about Moses. He'd been raised in Pharaoh's house. He had a, a great education. He was in a, a, basically a prince in Egypt. He had reached the top of society, Egyptian society. He had it made, but he considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Notice Hebrews 11, verses 24 through 27. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he entered, endured as seeing him who is invisible. So Moses got his eyes off of all those worldly pleasures and all those worldly things and focused on godly things. He began to be concerned about the trials of his own people, and the Lord used that trial to wean him off those worldly things, and trials will do that to us in our life. Also fourth, I think the trials help us to focus on our eternal hope. Trials in, in life, I don't know how they work with you, but I know how they work with me, they tend to make us want to go to heaven. When we see all the things that are going on around us and we see all the pain and the suffering that people go through in this life and we, we tend to focus on our hope because this world is not the place we want to spend eternity. We want to look to that heaven, we hope, that God has prepared that paradise for us and that wonderful place to live. And that's what we focus on. 
If in your life you have been laying treasures up on this earth, then we can't focus on our heavenly hope. But if you've been laying up your treasures in heavenly things, you're going to have a very, very distant relationship with the things of this world. Things of this world aren't going to mean so much. So trials tend to show us the waste of the things of this world. And they're going to, when we go through the trials, it seems as if the last thing we think of are worldly things. Romans 8 and verses 16 through 18. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Isn't that what we are working for? I hope that's what we're working for as Christians, that heavenly hope, that eternal hope. If you're working so hard for these, this world, all those things are going to be burned up. We need to focus on our heavenly hope. Paul continues in verses 22 through 25. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we grow ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. That wonderful heavenly hope. Fifth, trials cause us to think on divine things, heavenly things. And that's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 and verses 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not, do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Our light affliction is working for a much, much greater thing. More than we can even imagine. Then he says in verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. In other words, don't focus on the things of this world, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. How did Paul get that kind of attitude? Because his perspective was right. So we can see trials have a very helpful purpose. They test the strength of our faith. They humble us so we don't think more confidently of our spiritual strength than we should. They wean us off worldly things. They help us to focus on the heavenly hope and think on heavenly things. Sixth, trials also reveal what we love. Abraham and Isaac, again. It was a test of Abraham's love for God or for Isaac. And it was a test. It was Abraham's choice in this test. 
If you love God and you're going to say, thank you, God, for what you are doing in my life, what you're accomplishing in me while going through this. Thank you for what I'm learning and help me to see that and give you glory allowing this trial to happen in my life. It's hard to be thankful sometimes when we're going through problems, but if we've got our trust in God, we can be thankful for that. But if you really love yourself more than you love God, you're going to say, well, God, why do you allow this thing to happen to me in my life? Why are you uh, letting this happen? And we get mad at God, we get upset, um, we're going to be bitter. And that kind of attitude shows that Satan is in control and is winning the battle against your life. And one thing that we want to make very clear is God does not tempt us to sin. That's the devil's job. That's what the devil does. God protects us from the devil, but we can still make a choice to let the devil get the advantage in our life. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now that doesn't mean that Dave gets the same temptation as I do and he knows that Dave can bear it and I can't. That isn't what that means. And you get worse temptations than I do. Or someone gets a harder temptation than the other person. What he says is basically, I have provided a way of escape. And you aren't going to bear anything that everybody else hasn't bear, hasn't borne, and certainly what Jesus has borne. These temptations are common to man. And we have a way of escape. So you see, if anything is dearer to you than God, we've got to remove it from our life. I just want to make sure that in my life, nothing is dearer to me than the Lord. Notice in Deuteronomy 13 verse 3, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or false prophet or, or the dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you that to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So these temptations test us to know where our love lies. Luke 14 and 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We've heard this explained time and time again, I think. Is he literally saying that we have to hate everyone except ourselves? No. Including ourselves? No. He's saying that if you love anything in this world more than you love God, anything more than you love God, you're going down the wrong path. You can't be his disciple. Whatever it is in this life, there's all kinds of things that we like there's all kinds of things that we may love. 
We may love our wife, we may love our husband, we may love our children, we may love our job, we may love money. We may love anything in this world, and if we love it more than we love God, we can't be his disciples, what he says. Whatever that is, we may love the pleasure of sitting at home and relaxing instead of serving God. If you're loving that more than you love God, you can't be his disciples, what he says. If you love your job more than you love God, you can't be his disciple, he says. Where is our love? You see, the trial is what we love. The trial is what choice are we going to make? The trial is very true. The trial is very real. What do you love? Do you love the things? Do you love the comforts? Do you love the pleasures of this life? Do you love anything more than you love God? And a lot of times we fail. A lot of times we fail in that trial. We want to be his disciples. We want to be loving God. But there's the test. There's the trial. When we go through a trial, we find out what it reveals about our love towards God. And you will either be weaker or you'll be stronger. We and we alone are the ones that make that choice. Seventh, trials teach us to value the blessings of God. We're taught these days to value the things of this world and to have value the pleasures of this world. The world tells us to enjoy these things. We live by pleasure. We live by our feelings. If it feels good, do it, they say. Faith tells us to value God's world, God's word, God's favor, God's blessings. Selfishness and worldly, ple worldly pleasure says, grab what you can grab in the world and go for it. Find pleasure at any price. Faith says, obey the word of God and be blessed. In the middle of trials, we obey and we find a blessing. That's what the trials are intended to teach us. They show us that obedience at all costs brings, brings the blessing of God. Jesus went through trials and obeyed his Father, and there, were, there was a blessing in that. Hebrews 5 and verses 7 through 9, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication, with vehement trials, cries and, and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet, learned, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Look at the blessing there. <laughs> Jesus obeyed his father. And the blessing was eternal salvation for all of us. What a blessing when we obey God. Philippians 2 puts it another way, that he was humbled, took upon him the form of a man, and offered up himself in death. And God highly exalted him. Trials come to get us through the suffering, get us to the other side, that we obey in the suffering and then receive the blessing of God through that trial. On the other side of the trial, when you go through a trial, if you learn to obey God, you will experience his blessing. And that's his promise. Eighth, trials and suffering come to enable us to help others in their suffering. 
Sometimes when suffering comes, it may have no other purpose other than we are able to help other people in their suffering as well. To assist them. Notice the 22nd chapter of Luke where Jesus says to Peter, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Well, Satan's going to shake you, in other words, is what he's saying. And you know what? When trials come our way, they will shake us sometimes to our core. They will wake us up and they will shake our life into total and utter disarray. It's going to shake you. And that's what Peter, or, or uh, Jesus is telling Peter here. Satan is, going to take, Satan is going to take you and shake you up. He says, but I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Now listen to this. And when you have returned to me, when you've turned around, in other words, when you come through the trial, he says, strengthen your brethren. That's the purpose, a wonderful purpose, that when we go through the trial and we see somebody else going through maybe the same trial or a trial, we can go help and strengthen our brother or our sisters, help them through that struggle. Maybe they haven't been through that. We have. We know what's going to come at them, and we can lift them up, and we can pray for them. We can help them, whatever it may be. Maybe it's taking things to them. Maybe it's helping them with chores. Maybe it's... Studying with them, maybe it's praying with them, holding their hand. Strengthen your brethren. When you're going through trials, it teaches you all kinds of things. You learn a lot. And then when you see someone else suffering, help them. Help them out. Because we have been trained now in that. That's like Jesus in Hebrews 4 and verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Now notice Hebrews 2 and verse 18. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted, or they're going through trials just like you and I. We can pray to God for help. And Jesus is there pleading our case because he's gone through it too. We can do that with our brother. We can do that. We can help them out. So we go through trials for the purpose of being able to help others. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Finally then, number nine, Trials come to develop greater strength for greater usefulness to God. Thomas Melton, it was a 17th century English preacher, and he said, while all things are quiet and comfortable, we live by sense or our feelings rather than faith. But the worth of a soldier is never known in times of peace. You know, soldiers are trained and trained and trained, but they never know how things are going to go until they get into the war. And the worth of that soldier is never known until it's time to fight. So it is with our faith. God has his purpose in trials, and that is to give us a greater strength. You know, we, we go through one trial, and our, 
our spiritual muscles are exercised, if you want to say. You know, in my recovery, people will say, well, don't overdo it, don't overdo it. Don't. Well, I know don't overdo it. I know when things happen, you overdo it. But the only way that I'm going to recover and get stronger is to push and exercise and be active instead of just sitting in my lounge chair all the time watching television. My legs will not get stronger, my arms will not get stronger, my lungs will not get stronger, my heart will not get stronger unless I exercise. And so it is with our spiritual life. Unless we exercise our spiritual life and we go through the trials and see how we do in that trial and it makes us stronger, we go through one trial and another trial and another trial and another trial and sometimes we wonder, well, how much more can I put up with? Well, here's another one that's coming at me and it teaches us and it makes us stronger each time we go through another trial. We get stronger and we get stronger and we get stronger so that we can help others, so that we can be more useful to God. And when we're more useful to God, we're able to accomplish more for the church. To God's glory. If you're at ease and you're sitting in your easy chair all the time and you're not exercising spiritually, if you're not reading the Word of God, if you're not studying it, if you're not singing praises to Him, if you're not studying here on Wednesday night, if you're not studying here on, on Sunday night, you're getting weaker and weaker and weaker and you're becoming less useful to God. We need to all be useful to God. Exercise your spiritual life so that you can become spiritually strong. So when those trials come at you, we come out the other side in good shape and stronger for doing such. Stronger. We wonder why we fail. We wonder why we have so, much, so many problems. When the trials come our way, it's because we're not exercising. And our strength is getting weaker and weaker. So let's sum it up. What is God's purpose as he tests us? To test the strength of our faith, that we might know where our strength is or isn't. To humble us so we can think more confidently of our spiritual strength. To, so that we don't think more confidently of our spiritual strength than we ought to think. To wean us away from worldly things. To help us focus on that heavenly hope. To help us think and focus on heavenly things. To reveal what we really love. To teach us the value, to value the blessings of God and to appreciate those blessings. To enable us to help others in their trials and to bear another, one another's burdens to develop enduring strength for greater usefulness so that God can use us more and more for the cause of Christ. Trials are going to come. There's no way of avoiding them. We might say to ourselves, well, I, I know they're going to come and I know that all things are for God's purpose and it's all about what he wants to accomplish in us. But I still, it still doesn't answer the question, how do I get through it? How do I get through the trial? How do I get to the other side of the trial? Well, let's go back to James 1. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and perseverance. That's a purpose. 
to produce perseverance and endurance. It says trials are going to come. The testing of your faith is going to come. But let's notice verse 2. It takes a joyous attitude. My brethren counted all joy. Perspective. This means persevering in and through the trial with the right attitude, a joyous attitude. Verse 3, we must have an understanding mind. He says, knowing that this test is producing something, knowing and knowing that something good is going to come out of this. You know, none of, none of us would start, start anything, it seems like, if we knew that the end was going to be a failure. Start doing something knowing that, knowing that we're going to fail. But he says, know this, know this. That the testing of your faith produces something good, something beneficial to you. Third, we must have a submissive will. It says, let patience have its perfect work. In other words, let the trial happen. Endure the trial because God is at work in your life. If God's not at work in your life, Satan is. If you let him get the upper hand and you come out on the other end of the trial without joy and a bitter attitude toward God, you're mad at God, the devil wins. So let God do his work in, your, in, in the trials of your life. Let it happen and have the right attitude in that trial that you're going to pray, that you're going to trust God, and you're going to turn it over to him. And we, along with others, will help you along with that trial. But we want to eventually come out on the other side, the winner. We want to come out on the other side because let patience work within your life. Let those trials come into your life and deal with them as they come into your life because God is at work in your life. And you know what? You'll come out on the other side a lot stronger than you are now. And we must have a believing heart. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. Ask God for what you need in faith, not doubting. You must believe with all your heart. Believe in God and believe that he has the ability to do it and turn it over to him. Remember how we talked a little bit ago? We want to pray to God. We want to ask him for the help. We want to ask him for the prayers. We want to ask him for the blessing. But we want to grab that little suitcase of doubt and carry it along with us just in case God's plan doesn't work out in our lives. Doubting God. Not having faith in God that he can accomplish his will in us and through us. Put that doubt away, set it down to the side, and put your faith and trust in God. And sometimes that's a hard thing to do.
And finally, in verses 9 through 11, we must have a humble spirit. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flowers falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. So you persevere through the trials with a joyous attitude, an understanding mind, a submissive will, a believing heart, and a humble spirit. But then in verse 12, James tells us what happens when we make it through the trial. Blessed is the man who endures temptation or the trials. For when he has been approved, when in other words, when he's, been made, when he's made it to the other side of the trial, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. There's the blessing. There's the blessing. When we made it to the other side of the trial, we receive the blessing. Again, if we start something and know we're going to fail, we wouldn't start it. When we're going through the trial, know that on the other side is a blessing. In conclusion, trials are not fun or enjoyable. No one likes having problems in life, but we know we will come out on the other th end of that trial in a blessing. So let's prepare our hearts for how we're going to react to the trials when it comes. It can devastate us, or it can be a blessing to make us a better Christian in so many ways. Remember what we said at the beginning of the lesson, it's all about perspective. Going through any trial of life for a Christian can be a joyous experience if our perspective is right. Our plan and God's plans are not the same. And that's how we find joy in trials. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.